And a large number of those heresies have arisen because the idea that Jesus was both God and man has been unthinkable to people. There are people in the history of the church who've looked at that thought and said it's unseemly that God would associate himself with filthy humanity. Look at us. We are nothing like God. There's no way that Jesus was truly man. And so there are people who've said he was God, but he only seemed to be man. There are others who've looked at it and said he wasn't God at all. He was an incredible man, sort of as good as a person could be, as good as you or I might hope to be, to aspire to be, but he wasn't God himself. That's unthinkable. Still others have looked at it and said, it's just ridiculous. It's a myth. And have dismissed the whole thing as a pious story, a metaphor that we tell to encourage ourselves. It's hard to believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. I'm actually convinced that it would be a lot harder to believe that very simple truth that very complex and profound truth, that very central truth. I'm convinced that it would be a lot harder to believe that if we actually had a better conception of God. Even those of us who confess this and believe it, who take it for granted, even those of us who believe this, I think would have a much harder time wrapping our mind around it if our conception of God were just a little bit bigger, a little bit truer. We too, in other words, would struggle with it more. The reality is, is that when we try to think about God, we imagine someone in our own image, only bigger, better, more perfect. We think about God and we come up with this idea of some being who's somewhere out there. He lives in heaven, right? Wherever heaven is, perhaps up there, some being who is much bigger than us, stronger than us, better than us, more powerful than us, one who sort of knows all things and can see all things, we sort of come up with this idea that he is sort of a supercharged Santa Claus. Now, we wouldn't say that out loud, but if you could pry, I just did, but if you could pry, in, <laughs> if you could pry into our minds and actually examine the conception we have of God, of some being out there who's really big and really strong and really wise and who's perfect and never made a mistake and he knows all things, but it's this being out there it's a God in our own image or what we would want to be, bigger than us, stronger than us. And based on that conception of God, we imagine what it is that God became man, and we end up basically with a superhero story. He's the big strong one who showed up, the classic deus ex machina, the God out of the stagecraft to fix the problem. The superhero, the playwright who steps into the middle of his own play, we end up with this conception that is very small because our conception of God is so small. That conception that we have of God certainly contains truth, but it is not true. The reality is, is that who God is is simply beyond what our minds can grasp. We can't get our minds around him, which is why we create these images of God that are so small, like us, but bigger. Our, our minds, even the best of them, are flimsy when it comes to trying to understand God. So we were stuck with this issue where we were confronted with this truth that is central to Christianity, 
that God became man, but we can't get our minds around it because we can't get our minds around the very first word, God. But the reality is, is that God has not left us in the dark. Even though we can't get our minds around who he is, he has not actually left us without anything. He has revealed himself to us. He has actually offered himself to us. And even though our minds are flimsy, he has genuinely let us see himself. He has spoken. He has acted in history. He has demonstrated his nature. And by looking at the record of what he has done in history and what he has said, we can, even if we can't grasp it and get our minds around it, we can realize a much larger God than the one that we usually think about when we think about the idea of God becoming man. God has revealed himself to us. When we examine that revelation, we suddenly realize that God is not merely bigger or stronger or wiser than all of us. Of course, he is those things. But he's beyond that. Because God is the source of all that is. Before creation was, before God spoke and before a thing was created, there was nothing other than God. And my guess is when I say that, you imagine a being surrounded by empty space, God by himself. But before creation, there was not even empty space. There was only God. He is the source of all that is. There was no end or limit of his being. He's pure, unending life that goes on and on and on in all space and for all eternity. Some have said that in order for God to create, he had to separate himself, push himself out of the way to make room for creation to even come into existence. Before creation, there was nothing other than him. He filled all things to the end of eternity and back. When he created, it wasn't like a child using sand in a sandbox and making a little town. When he created, he is the source of all things. And so all that was created came from within himself. He is the source of life, the source of beauty and of joy and of goodness. It flowed out from him. Creation came from him, the root and source of its life flowing from him so that all of creation operates within his being. If that's a strange thought to you, I'm quoting Paul. He said, in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, God is not some being out there wherever heaven can be found and located. If we had a plane that could shoot to a different dimension, we could perhaps find him. Creation itself exists within the life of God, is rooted in him. If God did not exist, there would be nothing. He is all. All flows from him, and he created out of his very being. He's not just one who gives good things to us. We ask God, do this for me. But if we realize that all life flows from him and is his life, any gift he gives is actually a gift of himself to us, his own being offered to us. He is love itself. He's the fountainhead of glory. When Jesus was born, the earth shook with the glory and the angels showed up and the shepherds hit the ground because the glory was so terrifying, the veil to be stripped away. 
He's the fountainhead of glory. He's the true sun that casts light and warmth into the cosmos. And when he offers goodness, it is himself that he gives because all things have their being in him. He's not just perfect, morally perfect the way we imagine, like somebody who's never made a mistake. Perfection is simply a description of his character. And anything that we could call good or true or righteous or holy in the world is a reflection of him, a shadow cast by him. Whatever is good or true is him surfacing in our world, the world that he's created. Before creation, that burning holiness, that pure love, that limitless life, that overflowing goodness that existed for all eternity past and filled all of eternity because he was all that there was. Before creation, he was. But he was not alone. He was not lonely, like some pulsating energy with nothing else. Before creation, he was in perfect unity and perfect beauty. He's always been, he always will be, utterly one. And yet before creation, he was also three persons in such perfect unity that they were one, that they are one, that they will be one. A, 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 an idea that our minds, again, can't get our, themselves around. Three so perfectly united in harmony that there was only one being. God for all eternity past, pulsating love, endless life flowing out of him. And he pushes back himself, as it were, to make space to create out of himself something else. What we call creation, our lives. And you say, why did he do it? Did he get bored? Was he lonely? Was he killing time? Before your mind goes down that route, remember that time itself exists within him. All of creation exists within his life. There is no thing outside of him called time or space. He wasn't bored and he wasn't killing time. He pushed back himself as it were. He brought out of himself his own life to create. And he did this as a sheer act of love, sheer joy, a desire to share himself with someone else, to offer himself, to freely create so that he could freely give, so that he could freely give the goodness of who he is to what he created. It's a picture of God that we can't get our minds around. And like I said, because God has revealed himself, we can speak truth about him but we will not comprehend it. It's something just beyond us. We catch glimpses of it, very small glimpses. This is God, and this is what he has done. But it was that God who entered into human history and became a man. Again, this is incomprehensible. But in having a larger picture of God, we can glimpse the tiniest little bit of the magnitude of what that actually means. Can you imagine the one that is the fountainhood of life? All that exists flows from his very being. Can you imagine the one that is the fountainhood of life submitting to growth in the womb of a young woman? The one who pushes himself back and life erupts the one who has all things and is all things, 
submitting himself to growing cell by cell by cell. The humility of God being in the womb. Can you imagine the one from whose being emanates glory and beauty? Everywhere he is, glory and beauty shine forth. And that one submitting himself to skin knees and stomach viruses, to tripping, to getting embarrassed. The submission, the humility. Can you imagine the one who is love itself, the source of all that is good and beautiful? All that is good and true and beautiful in the world is only that because it reflects him. It's a shadow cast by him. Can you imagine one whose very being is shot through in the pureness of love, entering into a world knowing that people would spit and sneer and despise and scoff, or perhaps worse, just ignore and walk away. The humility of that God, willing to be falsely accused and slandered, ultimately even killed, and yet he was the one that is the source of all life. The reality is, is that the one in whom we live and move and have our being, to quote Paul, the one in whom we live and move and have our being came to live amongst us. What a contradiction this is that makes no sense. Our lives are lived in his life, and yet he takes a life, a humble human life, in our midst. An unthinkable concept, but this is the truth that we celebrate tonight. This, this article of faith on which Christianity stands or falls, this is the truth we celebrate. We celebrate the birth of a baby who is both a tiny, fragile human baby, and yet the Lord of the universe, who is the source of all that is alive, who has created all things. We, we celebrate the birth of one who is both the king of all, and yet was willing to become so small that he's shorter than a feed trough that he lies in for a manger. We celebrate the one who had no beginning, submitting to the idea of having a womb as his source. It makes no sense. We celebrate the unthinkable, the unimaginable. So the question that I ask is very simply, why did the God who needed nothing do this? Why did he do this? And I know most of y'all know this answer, but this answer needs to be said out loud it needs to be heard reverberating through our hearts. Because God is the source of all life, has never known a lonely day in his life. There is no reason for him to submit to the indignity and the humility of becoming part of his creation. Why did he do it? And the answer, very simply, is love. It's love. That he looked at his creation and he said, I'm not willing to let it go. I'm not willing to let it slip off the rails down the ditch to the path of destruction that these people are paving for themselves. I'm not willing to let it go. And that it takes becoming one with them in their midst, I will go to that depths with them. God said yes 
to the people who are constantly saying no to him. That's the thing that we need to hear because even now that same truth resounds to you and me, that God says yes to you. This is the incarnation that he said, I will come to where you are. And it does not matter if you have turned your back a thousand times, walked away a thousand times, ignored the truth a thousand times, pushed away from over and over. God keeps saying yes. Jesus Christ came in the flesh to be where you are. He did not need to do it. He was not lonely. He very simply wanted you, loved you. And so as we celebrate the birth of the Son, do not let this moment go without remembering at the deepest level the God who needed nothing, from whose being life flows, who has all glory and joy and beauty and perfection, that God said, I will become one who is like you because I love you. Amen.